0: Hey everyone, it's Lena and Megan from Enlightenedhood. Welcome to Soul Lift, where we're vulnerably sharing motherhood stories that don't fit the rhetoric we've been taught to believe. We're getting real and honoring all truths, sharing journeys from women who are using self-empowerment, mindfulness, and spirituality as a means to create their own path. Through this global anthology of mindful and spiritual motherhood stories, we hope that by giving these brave women this platform, we can heal together and all feel a little less alone. There is so much power in our story and the more we can share and help those who come after us, what a beautiful world this can be one where we all know our own strength and beauty. So we hope you find inspiration here today and find empowerment and validation in your own truth because everyone can use a soul lift. So in an article you just wrote, for enlightened.com, you came out of the vulnerability closet as a therapist with mental health issues. But before we get to that, I want to go back, back to your motherhood journey and when you became a mother, because I know you suffered from postpartum depression. And I just want to know more about what that journey through motherhood and then the next years looked like until you wrote that article and decided you were ready. So, can you tell me a little bit about your motherhood journey? Sure, I was fortunate enough that I had a very
1: um, uneventful birthing experience. Um, uneventful, meaning, I mean, it was eventful, right? <laughs> it was, was getting birth, um, but um, he was born um, naturally, and we didn't have any complications. So, you know, fairly smooth um, for it being the first child, and and he's actually our only child, um, but at any rate, so we didn't have, you know, any issues. We were in the hospital the normal amount of time before they kick you out because, you know, insurance is great like that, <laughs> and we went home and got settled in, and, you know, the first um, couple of weeks, I would say there were two big challenges. Um, Number one was that we were having some trouble with breastfeeding. Um, He wouldn't latch properly. And so, you know, I had wanted to breastfeed. Um, That had been really strongly encouraged um, Mm -hmm. by the doctor and the hospital. And they had a lactation specialist and um, they continued to support me in that even after I Um, was at home but we were having trouble with him latching didn't really know why um so I didn't have a choice I had to pump as we were you know doing a bunch of different things trying to get him to latch better so what ended up happening again those first couple weeks I was pretty much always attached um to a pump or to him Mm -hmm. so you know it was 24-7 um you know, trying to get him to feed um, off the breast or going ahead and doing the pumping thing. And then, um, you know, it was like every three hours that I would have to pump. Um, And so that got very old very quickly. And then, of course, in the first couple of weeks, um, you know, he did the usual baby thing where he was up all night and slept all day. Mm -hmm. So he was on the opposite schedule and the pediatrician was great, Um, you know, told us what to do to get his circadian rhythm um, correct and get him, you know, flipped to the the opposite schedule. So, you know, sleeping wise, um, within the first month, he kind of evened out and things were good where we would get, you know, like six, seven, eight hour stretches in the night where he would sleep. So that was great, except for I was constantly needing to wake myself up so I could pump.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. So we continue to have problems with him latching. And the hospital basically said, you know, well, at this point, now he's used to the nibble of the bottle. So guess you need to just do breast milk in a bottle. No big deal. (laughs) No big deal. I'm literally I pump and then I have to feed him, and then I pump again, and then I have to feed him. So it was pretty constant. Um, so then we also started uh, having some trouble where he was spitting up a lot after he ate, or he seemed to be really fussy and gassy. It took a lot of, you know, paying attention to to what was going on and talking to the doctor and going to the doctor. And they had a couple different theories and they eventually just, you know, said, well, we think he's sensitive to the breast milk. So we need to switch you to formula, which, you know, after a month I was exhausted from the pumping. Mm -hmm. So it was a good thing, but I had some guilt, you know, having been told that breast is best. Mm
0: -hmm. And now,
1: you know, I feel like I'm somehow, you know, failing him. also, it just felt like a failure in general. You know, this is something I was supposed to be able to do, and I can't do it. Um, but it, again, logically now, that doesn't make sense, but that's what was going on for me at the time. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, then we tried regular formula, same kind of um, tummy issues, and then we ended up um, getting him on soy formula. Uh, Which smells really amazing. Um, (laughs) It's even worse than regular formula. There's some sarcasm (laughs) there. (laughs) Um, Yes, most definitely. At least we had found something, though, that he could tolerate. You know, he wasn't as fussy. And, um, you know, I would say it took us a solid three to four months, though, to get to the point where we had him, um, you know, figured out what he could eat. And He was eating and keeping down, you know, the number of ounces that he needed to, um, and then started to gain weight like he was supposed to be. So I I can kind of talk about what the effect was on me. I already mentioned a little bit about um, the feeling guilty about not being able to breastfeed, but there was a lot more going on that I didn't even realize at the time. You don't always realize when you're in it, right? Uh
0: I was going to ask you, when did you start to realize or when did it start to take its toll where you started to go deeper into this postpartum depression and realized it was more than the guilt and more than just the exhaustion?
1: Yeah, well, the exhaustion, I would say, was a big contributing factor, right? So when you're getting so little sleep and such poor quality sleep and um, interrupted sleep, I do believe um, whereas postpartum depression and anxiety are their own issue standalone, you throw insomnia on top of that and uh, it makes it that much worse. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it just really compounds um, the issue if you're already struggling. Um, But at any rate, I noticed within the first couple of weeks that I didn't feel right. But everyone had told me, you know, this is to be expected. This is normal. Um, You know, you're going to have some letdown from uh, all the hormonal changes that your body's going through. And you're going to feel kind of weepy and melancholy. So I really didn't think much of it. Um, I would say about a month in when we Dealt with the whole switching from breastfeeding to formula feeding. Um, That's when I was really a little bit more aware like, wow, I am really upset about this, like to a a level that I probably, you know, looking back, it's irrational how upset I was, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Just crying a lot, um, feeling kind of hopeless, helpless. And it was, surrounding that situation, but also just this general feeling of, oh, my gosh, I don't know if I'm doing this right. I don't know if I'm good enough. I don't know um, what I'm doing. And, you know, also, of course, being worried about him um, with all the feeding issues he was having. So I've got that other part of me that's like, oh, my gosh, you know, is he going to be okay? Okay um the definitely anxiety around and I think rightfully so in the sense that you know when it's your child you want to make sure that they're healthy and and everything is going as it's supposed to be um but again in hindsight probably at a totally different level um than was rational Uh, I just worried all the time about are we going to be able to figure out what's going on with him and so yeah I most definitely had a sense a couple weeks in um after a month I was like oh yeah I'm really really down and I probably I mean I didn't actually admit out loud to anybody that I wasn't okay for at least three months um and I don't know Why that was, I think. Well, I do think I know. You're supposed to be extremely happy. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, the most joyous moment of your life. You're a mother now, and everything is, you know, wonderful and magical. And here's, you know, this, and he was adorable, right? (laughs) And everyone's coming over, and they're so excited, and they're holding him, and they're, you know, he smells like a baby, and, you know, and like, formula spit up and but there was just this kind of disconnect right between I am supposed to be feeling this way and everyone around me is happy and doting on the baby and kind of assuming that I was supposed to be feeling those same feelings I guess and so I you know, would try really hard to, and it's not that I didn't feel any joy. Uh, I have spoken with mothers that, you know, they will say that they really couldn't um, feel any happiness or any, anything really at all um, while they were dealing with postpartum issues. So I did have that and I did bond with him. That's the other thing I know that some women have struggled with, Um, and so I feel fortunate that that wasn't something that I was dealing with um, on top of the depression and the anxiety, but it was most definitely there, and I didn't really admit it or say anything until um, probably about three months or so.
0: What did that three-month mark look like? Did you ask for help? Did you realize, did it start to take a deeper toll? What did that transition look like?
1: Oh, yeah. Of course, I didn't ask for help because I'm not good at doing that. Um, I know several people that are not good at asking. I think most of us Um, are. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty notoriously bad at asking for help and admitting that I need help. So. I was home with him, so I wasn't working. And, you know, it just got to the point where I felt not just felt, but I was very isolated. And he was a good napper. So he would take a two or three hour nap in the morning and then again in the late afternoon. And I was noticing that every time he would nap, I would sleep. And, you know, they always say sleep when baby sleeps. So I thought, oh, yeah, I'm just doing, you know, what's recommended, not to mention I'm exhausted. So it seemed normal. And then they got to the point where when my husband would come home, um, he would, you know, get home from work and I would just say, oh, my God, I'm so tired and kind of hand him the baby and go to sleep. And on a weekend, for example, when he was home, uh, I might be in bed and, you know, lay in bed for two, three, four hours, sometimes sleeping, sometimes not. And I know he started to express some concern, like, are you okay? What's wrong? To which I just kept answering, I'm just exhausted. You know, I, I'm i fine. I'm just tired and I need to rest. And I'm pretty sure, and by this point, you know, probably four or so months in, um, this was going on, and unbeknownst to me, he told my mother, mm. which my my family lives very close by, so my parents, you know, already were coming over pretty much every day, every other day, um, to help out or to spend some time, and they were great supports. You know, if I needed to take a shower, they would watch him. Um, Even if I said, oh, I'm tired, I need to take a nap, they might watch him. So my husband told my mother. And I remember one afternoon, it was probably a Saturday or Sunday, because we were all home. And I was just laying in bed. And my mother comes to my bedroom. And she's like, "Uh, you need to get up. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm just, I'm tired and leave me alone. And, you know, I'm 30 years old. Like, what are you doing telling me what to do? And she's like, we're really worried about you. Like something isn't right. And I said, again, I'm fine. I'm just tired. And she said, I know, but there's a difference between that and not being okay. You really, like, are you okay? And I can't honestly remember what I said I know I said some version of no that I wasn't um and at that point she said okay well then we need to do something about it and I was a little resistant um not surprising to people who know me I'm a little stubborn (laughs) um and I I think the main reason that I was resistant uh, was that I assumed that I could just figure it out on my own. So when she's saying we need to do something, we talked about what that would look like. She said, let's have you go to your doctor or to your OBGYN. Maybe they can talk to you about what's happening. Maybe it's postpartum depression. She knew about what that was and she used those words. Um, And I said, they're probably going to give me medicine. And she said, maybe, maybe they'll give you an antidepressant, which I actually was already on an antidepressant um, because I have depression and anxiety. So I was already on something, but she said, maybe they'll give you something different or maybe your dose needs to be adjusted, but something needs to happen. And I did not want to do it for for a while because again I just kept thinking no I can figure it out on my own and so I resisted not for long because my mom is very persuasive <laughs> um, and <laughs> and strong armed me um, into making some phone calls and I decided actually not to um, see my OB about it and I started looking for a psychiatrist because I already had The medication, um, boy, I want to say it was when I was in graduate school. Um, That's when I had been prescribed the antidepressant. But here we were four or five years later, uh, and the prescription had been just renewed time and time again by my primary. And so I thought, well, if we're going to need to make changes, then I should probably just go right to a specialist. And so that's what I did. You know, I, he was probably at least five months before I got off my, (laughs) off my butt and made the phone calls. Um, And I was lucky and I got in to see somebody fairly quickly.
0: So then what did that road to healing look like? How long did it take before you, you really stepped out of that state? Oh, I would
1: say, all told, it was probably at least a year. Wow. So, that first year, and now, you know, I wasn't really fully immersed in therapy or making any med adjustments until he was six months old.
0: Mm-hmm. So,.
1: You know, I had done the six months of let's try and do it myself and we see how well that worked. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, you know, a good six months of pretty consistent um therapy. I was going weekly to begin with, and then every other week. Now this psychiatrist, um, she happened to do both, which was nice. So she wasn't just a prescriber, she also um provided the therapy so I could go and do my session. And then she would also evaluate what we were doing with medication and how it was going. Mm. Um, So that was nice. Um, And yeah, I would say it took at least a year. Um, Right around the time that he turned one, I was starting to feel a little bit more like myself. There were some other things that were going on that I think it wasn't just, I mean, so there's postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety. Um, I was diagnosed with both. And it, the psychiatrist said, well, you know, you already have a major depressive disorder and generalized anxiety disorder. So it's no surprise that you um, ended up struggling with the postpartum mood as well, because your um, research shows that you're more likely. Mm -hmm. to have these issues if you have a previous um, history of mental health issues. So at any rate, um, I was dealing with all of the the postpartum issues, and I was trying to find a job. Mm
0: -hmm. So
1: I had decided I wanted to go back to work. Um, I had left my previous position. I decided I I wasn't going to return after maternity. And so during, you know, this six month span, when I started therapy, um, until his first birthday, I was also like pretty heavy into the job search and was getting nowhere. So I don't think that helped. Um, You know, they're usually, which makes sense. I mean, life. There's a number of things going on. Um, So there were other stressors kind of mixed in that I think made it hard for me to kind of get into a a good place emotionally for a while.
0: So let's fast forward a few years to Mm -hmm. most recently everything, this journey of vulnerability and being brave and sharing your story that's been happening over the past few months would it be fair to say that this most recent chapter started with you discovering running? Yeah. So about a year and a half ago
1: is really when I was very involved. I, you know, started running some five K's and I joined a local running group and then I started training so that I could run longer distances. And I you know, worked with this group, we got up to five miles. And then I ran through the winter, last winter, which I (laughs) was absolutely adamant, I'm not going to run outside in the snow, (laughs) in the disgusting winter. Uh, And by that time, though, you know, I had all these new friends at the, the running group. And we, you know, had certain goals that we were Trying to work towards, and also, you know, I thought, well, it'll give me a reason to not hate the winter, maybe. Um, if I have to go out there and and run in it, maybe you know, it won't be so bad. I don't know what I was thinking, but um, so yeah, I ran all last winter, and I actually signed up um, during the winter for my first um, half marathon. So the idea was I was going to run uh, my first half marathon in October of this year, so just last month it would have been, and I was going to um, train all summer with this same running club, Um, and by that point, I was up to eight miles, Um, so it was May, and I was signed up for the, the training, the summer training. And I had already, you know, <laughs> uh, committed to doing the the half marathon in October. And then I got injured. So I stopped. And then once I stopped, yeah. it's like my entire world fell apart. Um, weirdly. Uh, I was pretty depressed. And, you know, I... I had been in a really good place with regards to my mental health for a while. Um, You know, I have a a therapist, a different one, because the psychiatrist I mentioned earlier had retired a few years back. So I have a different therapist. Um, She's actually a psychiatric nurse practitioner. So um, same thing. She does the therapy, but she also is my prescriber. And so I, you know, had been going and seeing her for two and a half years, I want to say. But I was maybe checking in with her every three to four weeks at the most because things were pretty stable. Um, again, as far as my mental health was concerned, or so I thought. Um, um, one of the big things that we talked about was how much running seemed to help me deal with my stress, um my anxiety, it gave me time and space to really process and, you know, just quiet time where I could actually deal with a lot of the the stuff that was going on for me. So, you know, I, I know we talked a lot about that and she had commented over, you know, the time that I'd been running that she thought it was a really positive um, aspect of of my self care, and so all of a sudden I'm so depressed, and uh, I went and I talked with her and I said, you know, this is what happened, and I really wish now I'm regretting it. Right? I'm like I shouldn't have stopped running. You know what was I thinking? Everything's falling apart. And she said, well, how is everything falling apart? I mean, aside from how you're feeling, you're feeling like it's falling apart. Is there something going wrong in your life? Like, what else is happening right now? And I said, nothing, really. I mean, everything objectively is good. You know, I'm doing well with work. You know, things have been busy. Um, and, you know, the, my favorite time of year, summer. We've got the pool. Um, you know, we've got lots of fun family stuff and there was nothing wrong, but yet I'm feeling like this. And so I would say all of July and into August, I had to, um, go and see her much more frequently. And I struggled big time, um, not just with, so first it was a depressed mood, and then I started having panic attacks. Um, I think it must have been the beginning of August was when I had my first, and I say my first, my first in recent times, panic attack. Um, I hadn't had one since I was trying to think back when it happened, Um, and All I could remember was it was when I was in Boston and I was in graduate school. (laughs) That was the last time I had one. So at least 10 years, 10 to 11 years, um, if not more. So that started happening and that was very unnerving. And, you know, again, I was just trying to chip away at it with my therapist. Like, what is going on? Like, all that happened was that running was no longer an option. And, yeah, I'm bummed. And the more I had time to process it and kind of deal with it. I'm like, yeah, I, I was bummed that I couldn't do the training and I can't run the race, but what's the big deal? Whatever, I'll just do it another time. You know, it's it's not a big deal. So I minimized it a lot in terms of, and I didn't understand it. I just couldn't figure out why it would be so it would be affecting me so badly and i'll never forget so it was sometime in early august when i was in a session with her and we were talking about what running had given me and i was saying i guess i'm grieving you know i guess it's a loss in a way but again why why is it such a big deal you know i'll rest like he said and i'll you know, do some strength training and then I'll get right back into it. And so we were exploring a little bit more about the running and my relationship with running. And she said to me, well, you know, running gave you all of these things, but what were you running away from? Mm. (laughs) And I, I remember just like looking at her, I'm like, what? I was running towards something. I was running towards you know, achievement and this goal of running 13.1 miles, like being somebody who had never run before um, somebody who lost 50 pounds through the process of, you know, exercising and, you know, running, becoming a part of my life. I was running toward the finish line. Like, I don't know what you're talking about running away from what, And she said, Just hear me out. Is it possible? Were you running from something? And it took me a little while to fully absorb that. But I listened and I kind of sat with it. And um, I started writing, which I hadn't done in a very long time. Um, And I started this list just on my iPhone. um, And I wrote things that I have been running from and then in parentheses I put something like um haven't been dealing with haven't fully acknowledged haven't fully grieved
0: Mm.
1: so and then I started this bullet point list and I was like there's this thing and this thing and this thing and I was just at first concentrating on the stuff that had happened in the span of the past two years Um, There were some significant losses in my life and I was, you know, listing those first and then it expanded beyond that. And I was like, oh my gosh, like on a larger scale, I guess these are other things that I haven't ever fully dealt with.
0: So at what point... Did you realize that you didn't want to carry anymore and you wanted to share all of this and be open about this and vulnerable about it to help other people? Because like you told me, you felt like you were a therapist who could really relate to your client's issues, but felt like you couldn't tell them that you had them. Um, So I have this really amazing
1: uh, person who came in my life. Her name is Joan. (laughs) Joan. And um, she basically has been helping me with redesigning my website and my branding and all these creative things that I couldn't even dream of understanding how to do. Um, And so she and I met by chance and we had an opportunity to get to know each other a little bit more on a personal level as we worked on the project. And she kept saying to me, This was. Actually, I'm the first therapist that she's ever worked for. So she's never done, you know, a rebranding or a web design for a therapist. And she kept saying, you know, I can really sense that your your clients must like you because you're so, like, relatable, I believe was the word she kept saying. You seem so real. And I said, well, yeah, I've received feedback over the years from different clients that, you know, they feel comfortable with me. Or I've had some people come right out and say, you know, I've never been comfortable in therapy, but then, you know, you've helped me realize that it's normal, it's okay to have issues, Um, whether it's because I shared about my own or not. You know, I, I do try to convey that that you know there's nothing wrong with you if you're <laughs> in therapy um and so she just kept saying yeah like you're so real and i think that's probably something that really people appreciate or that works really well for people how do we explain that how do we put that on your website i said i don't want to put that on my website like People will just experience it, you know, when, when they come see me. Um, we'll put up a nice picture and, you know, my credentials and whatever. And she said, no, no, no. There's something different about, about you, the fact that you're, quote, unquote, real. And then I had mentioned to her um, later in the summer when I was struggling with my mental health, I actually asked her if we could take a break from the project and i mentioned to her that the reason was that i wasn't doing so hot and um she said oh my gosh you know i'm really sorry to hear that and we did we took a hiatus for about i think 3 weeks or so she actually was going out of the country on vacation um and then she came back and by that time um i had talked to a few other people in my life um some family of mine i had just kind of Been testing the waters and been asking the question, what would happen if I shared more openly my personal like story about mental health? And you know, Joan really had me thinking about how it seems to help one on one for my clients to know that I'm quote unquote real. So, what if other people, hypothetically, out there in the world? knew that I'm a therapist, but I have issues too, would that maybe make therapy seem less intimidating? Might it help break down the stigma around mental health treatment and mental illness? Um, Might people feel more comfortable somehow, or maybe it would put them at ease knowing that even a therapist needs a therapist. Like I just kept going back to that. And I did run it by, um, you know, a couple of friends and most definitely family members to get a sense of what they thought. And pretty much everyone was saying, well, sure. I mean, what would be so wrong about putting that out there? And I just kept saying, well, it's vulnerable. It's scary. <laughs> what if I put it out there, and the internet trolls come out, and have something bad to say? You know, I mean, we've all we've all been there, and <laughs> um, <laughs> we've all you know seen uh, how people can get the keyboard warriors and um, people who are less than kind online. So there was that fear of you know people. I don't even know, um, making negative, disparaging comments on my, you know, whatever I was going to do, if I was going to write a story or put a post on Facebook was my idea originally. And, um, so then the, the other major concern I kept coming back to was my credibility. Mm-hmm. So I'm a licensed professional and I'm basically outing myself as having the same issues that I treat other people for? Is it going to bring into question my competence or my ability to uh, be professional or be helpful to the people that I serve? So that was pretty much the biggest thing holding me back in addition to just usual fears, right? People are going to make fun of you. People are going to reject you. People Mm -hmm. are going to, you know, be unkind.
0: Mm -hmm. But then you did it.
1: I did do it. Yeah. What happened? Somebody somebody was very convincing. Let's not skip the part where I did it, right? Because there was somebody that might be on this phone call. It took two people um, to, to make it happen. So there was me, the one who wrote it, um, but then you me, really, ca- I know, right? Mad props. You were encouraging. You were, hey, I think this would really help people. So go for it. Even though it's scary and you acknowledged and validated, you know, you could be a good therapist. You've got those skills. i um, <laughs> like, yeah, of course it's frightening. Um, you know, everything that you're worried about, I get it but you should still do it um, was the message I kept getting from you. So yeah, I did it. I made you give me a deadline and everything because I (laughs) knew if I didn't have, like, I won't, I won't write it if I don't have a, a deadline. Um, And so your question was what happened? Mm -hmm. Uh, I wrote it and I didn't die. (laughs) Right? So uh, I ask people that a lot. Um, You know, it's funny. When you're a therapist and you have your own issues, you're like giving out this great advice that you're super bad at taking. So um, I will often ask clients, you know, when they're really fearful about something, uh, I'll say, but will you die? Um, or after the fact, when they're telling me it wasn't so bad, I say, see, did you die? <laughs> like imagining that worst case scenario, did that really come to fruition? And, you know, 99% of the time, the answer is no, there's always that 1% chance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, nothing horrible happened. Um, of course I lied with that. Right, instead of saying the positive things that did happen. I said nothing <laughs> horrible and, and you know detrimental occurred. Um, I didn't get the negativity or the criticism that I had feared. Um, you know, and maybe people I'm sure somebody read it, right, and had those kinds of thoughts, but nobody um verbalized them, put them out there um for me to see. And the
0: positive that came from it, I was shocked at how many people read it. Well, you know that Brene says that vulnerability is the most accurate way to measure courage. So I am very proud of you for being very courageous. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, it's interesting.
1: I know she says that and I'm a huge fan of hers. Um, hopefully she's listening to this and she'll like want to meet both of us because that'd be amazing. I know she says that, but I don't feel courageous. Um I felt at the time frightened um and very vulnerable, very exposed. I feel good about like good about the outcome, I guess. But it doesn't feel courageous. I guess maybe not yet there are different well, and maybe it's, you know, again, it, we tend to not give ourselves very much credit as mm-hmm. compared to how much credit we give other people. Mm-hmm. So others might view it in that way. And of course I'm going to say, oh no, it wasn't, you know, <laughs> no big thing. Um, but yeah, it, and again, comparatively, when I think about how many, you know, brave, courageous people there are and it, you know, acts of courage that are occurring every day. Um, I don't maybe put it in the same category, but that doesn't mean that, that it doesn't belong there. It just didn't feel courageous.
0: It was brave for you and that's your truth. So I think you need to own that. Yeah, that's true. Yes, I definitely was scared
1: out of my mind to do it and I did it, so... There, there, therein lies the definition of brave.
0: Perfect. Well, it's been such a pleasure having you on this podcast. And as I told you, Sue had time to prepare, <laughs> that I always like to end with words of encouragement for anyone listening who needs a pick me up today or maybe needs that extra push to step out of the vulnerability closet. So, what are your wise words to end on? You know,
1: I absolutely think that it's worth it. I know it might seem at the time that there are reasons to not um, be vulnerable or not step out of your comfort zone, um, not be vulnerable, not open yourself up, but it usually has a good result even if it doesn't seem to be the desired result or isn't the best outcome I still think it's worth it right because you can always learn and grow from these experiences and you need to in order to have a more authentic human experience and connection with people you need to just go for it and you know again it's easy for me to say um and I know it doesn't apply to every single situation, but I I would have to say it's definitely worth being vulnerable um, because you never know what amazing things can come from it.
0: Thank you for listening to Soul Lift presented by Enlightened Hood for a complete library of mindful and spiritual motherhood stories visit enlightenedhood.com backslash soullift or find us on Instagram at soulliftanthology. Also be sure to follow us, Enlightenedhood, on Instagram at enlightenedhood. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.